And then there's this increasing number of women that go through that pattern of I'm on birth control. I want to have kids and wait a minute, I can't have kids. Right. And so they're trying IUI, they're trying IVF and, and, and they're on all these, you know, crazy, um, the IVF cycle. I don't know. It's, it's something my wife and I are going through and, and I knew a little bit about it before all of this. Now I know more than I ever cared to know. And I've also learned that at this point, I feel like everybody I talk to has either gone through it or knows somebody going through it, which that's also not normal, right? That, or it didn't used to be normal. Now it is. Now it's like, yeah, I'm going to my fertility doctor. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, founder of Zivli. As a geriatric physical therapist, I saw the heartbreaking effects of insulin resistance. At Zivli, our mission is to help you prevent and reverse insulin resistance for long-term weight loss and disease prevention through a low insulin and inflammation lifestyle. Each week on this podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable tips to lose weight, keep it off, and get healthy. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and today I'm really excited to welcome back our guest, Dr. Peter Kozlowski. I call him Dr. Cause. He's a board-certified functional medicine doctor and a two-time author of Unfunk Your Gut and Get the Funk Out. Uh, he's a family medicine doctor who practices, again, functional medicine for a diverse group of patients from children with autism to adults with dementia. And currently he works with patients online and in person via his Chicago, Illinois office. Today's interview is going to, fo it's kind of a part two. So in part one, a couple of weeks ago, we focused a lot on how environmental toxins and lifestyle choices can impact our thyroid and our adrenals. And towards the end of that interview, he brought up sex hormones. And I said, oh, that's a whole nother topic. Will you please come on the show for a part two? And he graciously agreed to share his time and expertise with us again today. Um, so today's topic is all about hormones related to sex hormones. So we're going to talk about how a woman's cycle works, how hormones change after menopause, um, PCOS, estrogen dominance, and low testosterone. We hope this is kind of like a little mini masterclass on sex hormones and that you definitely share it with someone who's struggling with one of the issues that we're going to, that we're going to address today. So Dr. Cause, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me back. It's an honor. Yeah. Let's just start kind of with, um, the basics. I always like starting at the beginning with the simple things. What are the major sex hormones? Yeah. So let's start, um, with females and okay. um the female sex hormones and so there's three major ones um i kind of say for women it's specifically estrogen progesterone and then testosterone and testosterone is more considered a male hormone but uh women make it and need it and uh don't feel good when they don't make enough of it um and so the the female reproductive hormone reproductive hormones, as I was saying, are all about uh, the reproductive cycle and, and uh, pregnancy. And so uh, the, a woman's hormones are kind of divided into the reproductive years and then the post-reproductive years, um, which is post-menopause. And there's different types of estrogen. Um, and the main estrogen that is active before menopause is called estradiol. 
And so these hormones cycle every month, and that's kind of what makes a woman's uh, period. And so we count it in the book that a typical cycle is 28 days. Um, and so day one is considered the first day of bleeding. And the whole point of the cycle is for pregnancy. So everything is designed for the, a, a woman to get pregnant. And if she does not, the cycle starts over. And so it's all about preparing the egg and then preparing for implantation. So day one is if pregnancy did not happen, there's something called the endometrium within the uterus, which is basically like a bunch of blood vessels that allows uh, a woman to basically kind of like have a place for the baby to grow almost like a place with oxygen, et cetera. So this endometrium is made uh, to, to create this happy place for a fertilized egg to kind of uh, stick into. And so all that vasculature and those blood vessels and all of that kind of sheds as, as they call it. And that's what a period is. That's the bleeding is the endometrium is shedding to start over because the egg was not fertilized. So the hormonally, you make lots of estrogen in the first 15 days. That's the main hormone. A woman does not make progesterone during the first 14, 15 days. And starting around day 14, 15 is when progesterone production uh, starts and it ramps up until the egg is either fertilized. And if it is, then a ton of progesterone is made because that's your first pregnancy hormone. And if it's not, the progesterone goes back down to zero and you start over. And so that is so, 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 so important to understand when a woman is trying to figure out whether she has hormonal imbalances. Because when we're looking at hormonal imbalances, we want to look at estradiol um, and we want to look at progesterone. So those are numbers that we can do a blood draw and see what your levels are. And there's reference ranges um, for the first 14 days, the ovulation phase, and then the last, um, the second half of the cycle, the luteal phase. And so we can do blood tests of estradiol and progesterone. And, and it's important uh, for a premenopausal woman to measure estradiol and not the other estrogens because that's the active one. So estradiol and progesterone. And so if you go to your doctor and you're like, hey, I don't know if I have a hormonal imbalance, they'll say, okay, let's go get your estradiol and your progesterone tested. The other numbers that we test are LH and FSH. And so we talked about like TSH with the thyroid in, in our first pod. And so the pituitary gland is again, the thermostat, like I describe it. And so the pituitary gland kind of regulates these, these hormones and the cycle and so it releases LH and FSH during uh, the different phases. And so typically when a hormone panel is drawn, LH and FSH are drawn as part of that. And the main reason why is because the if the estradiol or the progesterone are low or high, typically a doctor wants to know if that issue is coming from the brain, a signaling issue, or is that issue coming from the actual gland, the ovary, right? So 
if the signal is low, like LH, FSH are low or imbalanced, that means there's something wrong with the pituitary gland and, and the body's not regulating how the hormones are being produced versus which I don't ever see. I, I personally have never found a, a case yet with LH, FSH imbalances um, as the cause. They do happen, but it's just, I'm, I'm making the point it's pretty rare, but that's pretty typical as part of a hormone panel to look at those numbers. And men make those same uh, signals as well. And we'll talk about those when we talk about testosterone. So LH, FSH, estradiol, and progesterone, that would be a, a good basic hormone panel for a woman. But what I have seen over and over again is a, a patient will go in and ask the doctor for those labs and they get an order and they go and do them. And then they're told they're fine. Mm -hmm. And the, and I always ask my first question always is, is where were you at in your cycle when you got these drawn? Because this is either very normal or your hormones are a mess. And frequently I hear back, I don't remember. I don't know. The doctor didn't tell me when to go, right? And so the, the main thing that we're going to talk about is estrogen dominance, because I'd say probably at least probably around three out of four women that come to me um, before menopause are estrogen dominant. It, it's, it's very, 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 very common. Um, and so if what I'm looking for, and so what estrogen dominance means is kind of in the name, but it's estrogen dominance means that there's too much estrogen, but it also means there's not enough progesterone. And that's actually what I find is, is estrogen dominance is not that there's tons of estrogen. It's that there's typically not enough progesterone. And so that's what we, um, we need to know where you're at in your cycle to properly tell you, are you hormonally imbalanced or not? Right. So I always like to send women to the lab, uh, around day 21, 21, 22, 23. And when you look at a reference range for, and what I'm the main number that I'm looking at typically is progesterone. and when a woman has estrogen dominance, maybe we should talk about the symptoms first, right? Mm -hmm. So classic symptoms of estrogen dominance can be PMS, right? And so that could be heavy periods, that could be um, irritability, anger, pain, et cetera. Most many women have those issues as teenagers, right? And then most women go to their doctor and they get put on birth control, right? Because birth control um, basically masks the problem, right? We, you are taking hormones. And so they're controlling your hormones through pills that you're taking. So the, the issue kind of goes away. And, and for most women, the classic story is start birth control at 14, 15, 16. And then um, whenever a woman is ready to um, have kids, they stop it. Like, you know, I guess that's happening later and later. So let's say 30, you know, years ago, that would have sounded like a very late number, but that that's pretty normal now, I, I think um, that, you know, let's, so we're on birth control from 16 to 30, and now we're ready to have kids. And then we stop it. 
And for a lot of women, they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? And, and, and all these horrible symptoms come back. So PMS, weight gain, um, cystic breasts, fibroids, endometriosis, um, abnormal periods, fatigue, hair loss, cold hands and feet, brain fog, depression, anxiety, poor sleep, mood swings, um, lots of classic symptoms, right? They sound bad, but you know, the, the more women you talk to, you know, a lot of women are going through that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it is, I mean, I would almost call like the, the symptoms of estrogen dominance, kind of those classic symptoms that a lot of women experience and then just get on birth control and, and they kind of forget about it. And it's nice, right? Because, you know, so a lot of those symptoms will go away because you're taking these, these exogenous hormones. And so you don't really have to worry about it. And for many women, they kind of get you know, I'd almost say it's getting lucky because one of the things we'll touch on too is the amount of infertility that's happening. And so for a lot of women, they'll stop the birth control and they can get pregnant and they'll have, you know, however many kids they want to have. And then some, so then there's, there's being pregnant and then there's breastfeeding. So that takes years and years and years. So for a lot of women, it, it like, you know, we get to 40 then, and, and now all of a sudden um, I'm 40 and I have children. And now I want to focus on my own health. And it's like, wait a minute, all these, you know, PMS type symptoms, the, um, are back and, and I can't sleep and I'm and my anxiety is horrible. And, and I, you know, I'm trying yoga and meditation and therapy and none of these things, you know, they're working a little bit, but I still feel crazy. And, and my doctor's telling me to take an antidepressant and, and so that's a lot of times that women are ending up in my office too, is, you know, in those years where it's like, well, I never really dealt with my hormones. I was on birth control then I had kids. Um, and now I need to fix it or, or, you know, now I'm really struggling. And then there's this increasing number of women that go through that pattern of I'm on birth control. I want to have kids and wait a minute, I can't have kids. Right. And so, they're trying IUI, they're trying IVF, and, and, and they're on all these, you know, crazy, um, the IVF cycle. I don't know. It's it's something my wife and I are going through, and, and I knew a little bit about it before all of this. Now I know more than I ever cared to know, and I've also learned that at this point, I feel like everybody I talk to has either gone through it or knows somebody going through it, which that's also not normal, right? That, or it didn't used to be normal. Now it is now it's like, yeah, I'm going to my fertility doctor and that those doctors didn't even exist, you know, yeah. a long time ago, um, or not even that long ago. Uh, and so then that's a whole nother issue. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that's kind of, um, I guess I don't, a long answer to your question of just trying to, to start the conversation around hormones. I would say before I finish is just, so when a woman comes to me um, with a lot of those estrogen dominant symptoms and, and for so anybody that wants to look at them again, they're all in my book. Um, so it's there to read over and see, you know, how many you can check off. But if, if we are in uh, the reproductive years, then I will send them for 
estradiol, progesterone, LH, and FSH testing. And, and around day 21 of the cycle, usually, like I said, day 21, 22, 23. It's very easy to do. Um, you don't need functional medicine labs. They are your traditional bl blood work labs that your regular doctor can order. You can go to your uh, local lab or your uh, local hospital and it, you get the results typically within a day. So something easy to, to diagnose and look at. And when you get those results back, Typically, and so again, the, the second half of the cycle um, and is when the progesterone production should be happening. In estrogen dominance, it's typically not. And so the range and that phase, again, is called the luteal phase. Uh, the range on a lab, on most labs, is about 2 to 20 for progesterone. They'll say that that's normal. And that's kind of my argument from a functional medicine standpoint, again, is that that's kind of a psychotic range, right? Like how could two be normal and 20 be normal? Those are massive, massive differences. And I don't know what the exact right number is. I, I've seen some uh, studies and doctors suggest that 15 is the optimal number around day 21. I've read and seen arguments for 10 to 15 as being normal. So I'll typically use that range 10 to 15 as being normal around day 21, 22, 23. However, this, this condition is not something that I diagnose based on just labs. And so I don't make my clinical decisions in regards to diagnosing estrogen dominance based on just labs. I, I really, um, because we don't know exactly what is normal. And I, and I believe that every woman is different. So for one woman, it might be normal at eight. And for another woman, she needs it to be 18. And, and so the main factor that I look at is also symptoms, mm -hmm. right? And I just had this happen yesterday with a patient where, you know, going over that list of symptoms, she had all of them and, and they're severe. And the, I kind of look at the last phase of estrogen dominance where it gets the most severe is all the way to panic attacks. So that is kind of like the nail in the coffin for me for a diagnosis. And I've seen this a number of times now where women are like, I've been having hormonal issues for years. And last month for the first time ever, I ended up in the ER because I thought I was having a heart attack. And that that's kind of for me, like, okay, we, we, we probably have estrogen dominance. I don't want to say for sure, but in my mind, it's usually for sure. Like that's, that's usually, um, the last phase of it where, where they really need help. Um, so <clears throat> estradiol, progesterone, LH, FSH, the main number we're looking at is progesterone should be around 10 to 15. And I have all these labs and values in my book. And so someone can reference them using the book, but it is not just the lab. It is the symptoms also. So I can have women with what I would say are mild symptoms. So maybe they check off two or three things on that list and their progesterone comes back at like two or three. And then I can have a woman that has all of the symptoms all the way to the panic attacks and their level comes back at like seven. Wow. And so 
for me, I would be more inclined to treat the woman with the level of seven, actually, because the symptoms are so severe than the woman with two, because the symptoms are milder. Right. And so when it comes to treatment, right, that that's, that's probably the part that most women that are listening to this are like, well, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of break it down to there's the basics, which are cleaning up your diet, managing stress, exercising, which are things that everybody should be doing. And most women are trying that, right? But that's where the hormones can play such a big role that let's like what I mentioned earlier is like, Hey, I am in therapy. I am doing meditation. I am doing a gratitude list. I've started doing HRV, but I still feel crazy. And, and I can't, this stuff isn't working that well. And that's where, um, growing up as a like young, immature male, I, you know, you kind of just think women are, can be a little crazy sometimes. And, <laughs> no, and... really? <laughs> My husband would never say that. Just yeah. kidding. And, and so learning about hormones and working with so many women over the years, you know, I I see it right away. I'm like, you know, this is not your fault. Your hormones are just out of control. Like they're not balanced. And so no wonder you, you feel a little nuts. And, and so that, um, is just been something I've learned over the years is so when I talk about the basics, like it sounds easy, sure. Do the elimination diet, sure. Go to therapy, do these things. But if your hormones aren't cooperating and so it's kind of this hamster wheel, right. That women are stuck on. Mm-hmm. And, and so then, then the second thing is supplements and, and there's different supplements that, that I've used. And, and for me, supplements can help, but it kind of almost depends on the severity of how bad the symptoms are. So if we're talking about a woman that has five or more of those symptoms, let's say, I honestly probably will advise that supplements probably aren't going to help. And, and in my opinion, the best supplement that I've seen is uh, Chasberry. Chasberry, and it's known as Vitex also, um, is been shown to decrease estrogen and increase progesterone. So that's pretty much exactly what we want. Right. Um, and then there's supplements like adaptogens and other herbs that can help estrogen detox. There's multivitamins, there's B6, there's magnesium to kind of calm down ashwagandha, things like that. And I have some of those lists, but it again, to me kind of comes down to the woman, the age, the symptoms. And, and so I haven't found a supplement regimen that like has fixed the problem uh, is my honest truth. And so what I have found for many women to be kind of the magic cure is progesterone replacement. And so I have used bioidentical progesterone. Um, So that term, many people have heard that term bioidentical, and it's almost one of these buzzword trendy terms. And a lot of people don't even know what it means, but it sounds cool. Um, and, and so what it does mean is when a woman, you know, like if you go to your Walgreens or CVS or whatever pharmacy and your traditional doctor puts you on birth control, those hormones are synthetic. They are made in a laboratory. Um, there was one that was like made from horse urine, and, 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 and so it, they are, they can be 
the problem not so much as the hormone. The problem is, is your body detoxing that hormone because you have to break down estrogen. You have to break down progesterone. And, and so the more of the problem with those kind of medications is the detox is that as, as you're breaking them down, they could be really toxic. And that's where I think a lot of the issues come from. So biologically identical hormones mean that they're biologically identical to what your body is normally making. And so there's not that detox, you know, the detox is more normal in regards to not creating a toxicity and that's what makes them safer. So what I have found to be the magic kind of solution is bioidentical progesterone replacement. And that is, um, and we do it to mimic what your body should be doing. So what that means is if I prescribe it, I only prescribe it on days 14 through 28 of your cycle. And it is taken one hour before bed. And the dosing can be anywhere from 50 to 200 milligrams. And your doctor should be helping you make that decision. Um, and it, I've seen it completely change women's lives, like unbelievable. Um, women that were in, you know, ER many times for panic attacks and years and years and years have never been back. And all of a sudden, all the mental health stuff is working, right? Um, therapy is easier. Relationships are easier. Meditation is easier. Yoga is better. All these things, all of it, then all of a sudden you get off that hamster wheel. And instead of everything kind of making things making each other worse, everything is getting better, right? Each thing is starting to work better. Um, a question that I get a lot is, is a lot of women, when they think of hormone replacement, they think cancer, right? And there was a lot of cancer from hormone replacement. And it was those like synthetic ones from horse urine that were a big problem. And again, that comes down to the detox. So to me, progesterone replacement is actually, I would argue it's more preventive against cancer because many female cancers, whether it's breast or uterine or ovarian are estrogen driven, right? So if you spend your twenties, thirties, and forties, um, in an estrogen dominant state, I would argue that that would put you at a greater risk for cancer. Right. Um, because most of those horm those types of cancers are estrogen driven. Whereas if we get you on a biologically identical form and we balance your hormones, they're going to be cancer pre preventive or protective, ideally. And so, I mean, obviously, when it comes to something like cancer or anything I talk about, there's so many other variables. There's stress and diet and toxins and all these things. So I'm not saying that progesterone will definitely prevent cancer, but at least from a common sense standpoint that most female cancers of the reproductive organs are estrogen driven, that progesterone is going to be protective of that, right? And so that's what I've found to be kind of the magic solution. And, and Probably the biggest question that a lot of women are now wondering, because I've heard this almost instantly so many times is why didn't my OBGYN bring this up to me? 
right? Why didn't my family practice, doctor? You know, if this is such an easy answer, um, why aren't they talking about it? And, and so I still don't have the answer to that. And, and I think it gets back to just the pharmaceutical industry control of what we do as traditional doctors, because bioidentical progesterone replacement comes from a compounding pharmacy. It comes from a natural source. Frequently, they're made from yams. And so there's no money in it for the pharmaceutical industry. So we're not really taught it as traditional doctors, because um, as I mentioned, my wife and I have been through the IVF journey and, and my wife has been to many OBs over the years. And I, I've been to some of those visits over the last few years. And so I always ask at the end, because I'm trying to find out, you know, why aren't they addressing this? And every OB I've asked believes in estrogen dominance, but they not one of them has really been able to answer me why they're not treating it. Or they'll say like, yeah, we just use birth control. Mm-hmm. So long, think, yeah, long that's answer. so good. I have a few follow-up questions before okay. I'd like to, yeah, I'll give you a drink. <laughs> Here's your rest break. That was such a good explanation, Dr. Cause. Thank you. So I was taking some notes as we were talking. Um, what if someone has an irregular cycle? You say, I, I think I understand it, but I just want to be sure that a lot of people who may be estrogen dominant they might have very irregular cycles. And you mentioned to test around day 21, 22, 23. So just to clarify, the first day of your period is day one. Mm-hmm. So then you would count out 21 yes. days after that. So even if you have an irregular cycle, you would suggest just wait till you have your period again and then kind of be ready to get tested. Okay. Yep. Um, the other thing I think is uh, often under advocated for is the risk of blood clots with um birth control. So we kind of mentioned that if you're taking the synthetic birth control, often for decades, um, you're increasing, you may be increasing your risk for certain reproductive cancers. You're increasing your risk for blood clots, like pulmonary embolisms. I know a girl who was in my class in high school, we played soccer together in her twenties, almost had a fatal pulmonary embolism from birth control. And so I saw a Facebook post of hers once just really advocating for women to be aware of that risk. Are there any other risks? Um, And by the way, this is not the girl's fault. Um, My high school volleyball coach, when I was super moody, she was like, I think that you might want to go on birth control to kind of calm yourself down. (laughs) You know what, what high school girl isn't super moody. And so I did, and I didn't know any better. And then in college, I was really, um, I felt really numb. Like I was in this relationship that wasn't serving me. And I'm like, why am I not more motivated to get out of this? Why do I feel numb to this? And then I felt just a little bit bloated and heavy. And I'm like, I think it's the birth control. And I got off of it and I felt like I lost 10 pounds really easily. And then I felt a lot more mental clarity and focus. And so for me, those were my personal symptoms, but do you notice any other symptoms or risk factors of the synthetic birth control? I mean, if we opened up the pharmacopoeia, the the list is probably endless um, in regards to um, the side effects. Um, For me, I haven't prescribed birth control in over 10 years. So I I don't, you know, I'm not up to date with all the the side effects that they list. Um, When I was in a traditional family medicine uh, practice in in residency, then yes, I I prescribed birth control and I could probably name off all the side effects, but um, it, you know, I, 
I would imagine it's anything, headaches or joint pain, or, you know, you can have irregular periods or more regular periods, or, you know, it, it just gut or urinary, you know, the symptoms I think are kind of potentially endless. Kind of a Pandora's box. It could be yeah. the birth control. Okay. The other thing that I just wanted to mention was anyone who's listening to this and they feel like they're struggling with estrogen dominance they probably have anxiety. As you said, they might have some degree of depression. Both yeah. of those can make implementing the lifestyle changes so much harder, like such exactly. an battle. So I just wanted to acknowledge anyone who's trying to make those lifestyle changes. Don't give up. You yeah. are, you are facing a little bit of an uphill battle. If you're trying to improve your physical health with mental health, um, kind of issues or unresolved problems. I always encourage people to really focus, if not in tandem first on their mental health and then on their physical health, because I feel like, um, they do go hand in hand. And as your physical health improves, your mental health improves, but if they're really stuck in that crippling anxiety, like I think really getting to supplementing or progesterone faster to help get them out of that so that they can be a little bit more effective in implementing lifestyle changes is really wise. Um, and then a couple other questions on the supplemental, let's kind of start at the basics. So why, why would someone have low progesterone slash estrogen dominance? Like what's the, what are the environmental or physiological causes of that? If someone wants to try to prevent that in the first place or reverse it, um, almost like reverse engineering the cause for their treatment. So I'll ask you that question first. And then I just have one more follow-up question. I, I always say the risk is just being alive in 2023 now. Um, and, and, and I, I personally believe, and, and I write it out in the book is, is it's our toxic environment. And I think maybe probably even one of the most interesting things, and I go through the full, I'm sure the list can be longer, but I have a list in the book of xenoestrogens. So the first time we talked about and what I talk about the most in the book is the damage that toxins do to all our different cells, right? And so the damage can be done to the ovaries. So then the ovaries, the production kind of gets screwed up. Um, and so, but the other thing that, that women are being exposed to are called xenoestrogens. So these are toxins that are not only damaging your cells, but they can bind to estrogen receptors. And so your body is responding as if it's making extra estrogen, right? And your estrogen levels won't even show it, but your estrogen receptors are activated and functioning as if they've been turned on by estrogen um, because of xenoestrogens. Birth control is considered a xenoestrogen. Chlorine sunscreens. So we are talking about like household products, right? It's building materials, things like that. These are things that women are, are using and touching all day, every day. And so we're absorbing these toxins through our gut, through our skin, through our lungs. And then they're going around and binding and activating the functions of estrogen. And so 
part of the problem with diagnosing estrogen dominance or hormonal imbalances is difficult on lab work is because it also comes down to the balance of estrogen and progesterone. And, and there are doctors that, that make arguments for what is the proper balance, but I think that that also gets screwed up because of xenoestrogens, yeah, because that, that those aren't reflected on blood tests, right? Yeah. And so that's where um, th- it's a very, very difficult world to to work in because it's not that it's not easy. It's not clear cut. It's like it's not like okay, your blood pressure is 160 over 90, so you have high blood pressure. Um, it it is it really involves um, listening to the person and, and and working together with your practitioner to make it a proper diagnosis, and then figure out what is the best treatment plan. Um, because also an important point I wanted to make is I don't put all women on progesterone, and and specifically, um, if a woman is past. Um, their baby making years that they're like, listen, I, I, I'm done having kids. Um, and I will not really hesitate in that case to use progesterone. If I'm working with a 20 year old or a 22 year old or a 25 or 27, which is common in, and they're like, I have not started any baby planning yet. I typically try to avoid progesterone replacement in younger women. Um, And because that gets into the whole, when we give your body a hormone, we're telling your body, you don't need to make it right. And so I wouldn't want to turn off a woman's hormone production over the long term by putting them on a hormone. But that, that again, you know, this is, it really is individualized person to person because but if you're 22 and your progesterone is one and it should be 15, are we really going to be screwing anything up? You're already not making it. Right. right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I will always try to detox, right? So I will test for heavy metals and glyphosate and mold and all the non-metal toxins. And I would rather try to detox, get the gut right, show that the the diet has been balanced, work on mental health. And so we have time in that situation to to try to get the body to work regularly again but it, it, you know if, if we're talking about a 22 year old that's in and out of the er every other you know every month you know i think we're doing more good than harm you know and and you need progesterone as i mentioned in the beginning to get pregnant too so actually being on progesterone could make you more fertile fertile um, because you need progesterone. So if you're not making it, you're also going to have a harder time getting uh, pregnant. And then a lot of women that have been through like miscarriages, they've been told, Hey, you, you know, we test and your progesterone's low. So if you get pregnant again, we're going to put you on progesterone right away. Right. And they do that during IVF and they do that during uh, regular pregnancies too. Um, so there, there's a lot that goes into this. And, and, and so it's not the same for every woman, but to keep it simple, I, I would try, you know, if it's pre-pregnancy years, I try to avoid hormones. If it's post-pregnancy and the symptoms are, are inhibiting quality of life, then I'm more aggressive to recommend yeah. hormones. Now with someone who's post-baby making years, um, would they have to be on the progesterone indefinitely or like until they go through menopause? Is that? Everybody's different. Everyone's different. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
So we're going to detox and, you know, some women I've seen get off of it. Okay. Some women have getting, gotten off of it. And a month later, they're calling us and saying, ASAP, please get me back on <laughs> it. It's not good. Um, yeah. Yes. So it, I always encourage, like, if, you know, we got on it because of symptoms and, but that was before we started the functional medicine process. And now it's been a year or two and we've gotten the body cleaned up, then let's try and see, oh, you know, sure. and, and worst case scenario, we could always start again. Yeah. So, okay. I think that those, that was a really great discussion. Um, and again, Dr. Cause's book is, is really full of details and tables and like lists of those, you know, toxins and other toxins. And so I highly recommend that as a reference point for people, if they want to dive deeper, um, before we transition, we, we have a little, oh, 20 minutes or so left. I wanted to touch a little bit on PCOS and low testosterone. So okay. you kind of if we can balance our time a little bit, I know we've covered a lot of women's health issues so far, but I didn't want to, um, neglect men with low testosterone, yeah. um, and that discussion too. So really quick on PCOS, what are some major causes of that? So that's polycystic ovarian syndrome for people that aren't familiar. Is that related to estrogen dominance at all? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, a major reason that PCOS is happening is too much estrogen and not enough progesterone. Okay. And then I would say the, the, the other major thing is, is diet and sugar. Yeah. And, okay. and, um, because your fat cells can make hormones, right? Yeah. So another way that you can end up estrogen dominance is just by having too many inflammatory fat cells, which I would argue all fat cells are inflammatory, um, that are also then making estrogen. So imagine this world that we're living in where the obesity rates, I mean, who knows they're over 50%, 70%, you know, they're, they're, they're through the roof. So you've got, you know, all these extra fat cells that are making estrogen. Then you're putting on sunscreen and taking birth control and, and rubbing, you know, and, and all the different, um, bath and beauty products. And, and all of that is activating more estrogen, right? So you're, you, a lot of women are living in this hugely high estrogen state. So yeah, one of the things that can happen is the polycystic ovaries. The, the sugar thing is, is interesting because if, if a woman's ever been diagnosed with PCOS, the number one drug that is used is a diabetes drug. Yeah. Yeah. It is a drug called metformin that makes your insulin receptors more sensitive. So you basically can store sugar better, right? And that is the best medication and treatment they've found for PCOS, right? And so from an alternative standpoint, it would be cleaning up the diet, right? Unfunking your gut, like in my first book, and that that's looking at food sensitivities, it's cutting down the sugar, um, cutting down the stress, um, exercising more, all of these things to, um, lower sugar, lower cortisol that will then allow the hormones to kind of heal. Right. So it is, you know, again, just point proven that it's a very complicated process and there's a lot of factors. So I'm not saying it's just toxins, you know, it is diet it is stress and it is all of these different things that are playing a role. Yeah. I, I think it's really important to highlight like 
in, inside of Zivli, we have kind of our four pillars. We have nutrition, including, we didn't even talk about fasting today, but that's a whole yeah. other topic for gut health. You know, what you eat, when you eat, stress, sleep, movement, it's all on a foundation of mindset. And so I like just bringing that up because people kind of get hyper-focused on, oh, I, I got to fix my diet, but then they're completely neglecting their chronic stress or sleep deprivation, you know? And so I think it's really important to kind of put first things first. And, um, I, I really think it's way more effective to focus on the simple things. And I say simple, that doesn't mean easy, but like hydration, you're drinking pure, like, are you drinking enough water? Are you getting seven to eight hours of sleep a night? Like, let's start with that before we get all down the, the fasting, uh, tract and really improving your diet a lot. It's like, let's kind of tackle the, the lower hanging fruit. Again, it's not always easy, but that's going to make other things easier. So I love having this more holistic conversation on like, it's not just this, it's not just that it's like everything plays together. Um, just okay, a quick one, comment on what you just said is, is that, you know, cause the other half of my book is about toxins and detox and, you know, the, and my biggest pet peeve in this alternative medicine world is all the people selling these detox products and, 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 and all the money that's spent on these products for detox. The best ways to detox are talk detox is just turning toxins that are fat soluble, making them water soluble. So you can pee poop and sweat them out. So the best way to stimulate detox is to drink enough water. So you pee. Uh, yeah. It is to unfunk your gut. So you poop every day. If you're not moving your bowels every day, you are not ready to detox. It is exercise and sweating because that's another way that toxins are coming out. It is sleeping because uh, and managing stress because cortisol and stress will stop you from detoxing. And then all of those, if you're not detoxing well, then your hormones are going to get worse and worse, right? So again, it all builds together, but those are you know, the basics that everybody jumps over and, and jumps straight into a supplement or something, but you know, there's very simple steps that can be taken that will help heal hormones or help detox. Yes. Thank you for, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think the last thing that before we move on to the low testosterone is just to cover how estrogen production changes after menopause. We've talked a lot about premenopausal women, um, and I've said this multiple times, but I just want them to hear it from someone else on why stress management and proper sleep is so important as women go through perimenopause and, um, then our postmenopausal as it relates to weight loss and fat loss. So during the reproductive years, the majority of hormones are coming from the ovaries that that's the, the majority of estrogen progesterone production. There's a little bit coming from the adrenal glands. And then we talked about the fat cells. Well, after menopause, the ovaries are no longer making the estrogen and progesterone and it is, or maybe just a tiny amount, but the majority of production is coming from the adrenal glands and the fat cells. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that, and, and a very interesting thing is, is, you know, the, 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 I would say the symptom that I've seen that bothers women the most after menopause are hot flashes, right? And so most women just assume it's like, well, I'm not making enough hormones. And there's studies that actually show that cortisol and high cortisol is a bigger trigger of hot flashes than the lack of hormones. 
flashes, right? Because not every woman goes through hot flashes, right? And yeah. so cortisol is actually a bigger player in something like hot flashes, which is something probably most people don't uh, recognize. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we're aligned that, you know, whether we talk about gut health, hormones, toxins, reproductive years, post-reproductive years, at the end of the day, the most important part of all of it is your mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. And, and not because, not just to have better relationships, but to better make hormones and to better detox and to have better thyroid function and to have a healthy microbiome. And for all of those reasons as well. Do you talk about that in your book? I was just wondering the mental, emotional, spiritual stuff. Unfunk your gut. That's the whole point of the book is that the the key to your gut health is mental, emotional, spiritual health. And then I'm excited to read that. Yeah. Chapter two of the the, get the funk out is the adrenal gland chapter. And and so that is all about mental, emotional, spiritual health. And I, I think I end the entire book with just that the most important part of all of this. So that that's my biggest pillar that I stand on, I guess, is, is explaining that, that importance of that piece of health. Yeah. Um, I'm really, I've only used your book as a reference point. So I've kind of like, if I had a question about something, I'd go to it. I'd look at the tables and that kind of stuff. And in preparation for the interviews and right now, Dr. Beth has it, she's our Zibli health coach. And, but I'm really excited. I feel like I'm kind of ready to take in some new material. And, um, the way that I describe it is if you don't have a strong mindset, it's like, you're building your house on sand. And you can work on fasting, you can work on nutrition, you can work on stress and sleep and exercise, but you won't be able to be consistent. And it just kind of all topples over um, if it's not on a strong foundation. So I think that's so important. Um, I know that you've been through that. You kind of mentioned that in your first interview. Yeah. Yes. Big head nod. Um, Let's kind of finish up today in the last, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, just talking about testosterone and um, sex hormones for men. So I'm just going to hand the mic back to you and see you in 15 minutes, <laughs> but pretty much. <laughs> um, so testosterone is kind of known as the male hormone. Um, and so just as much estrogen dominance as, as I'm seeing is the reverse of that for men is how much low testosterone we're seeing. And just like for women, men kind of have their reproductive years, which can last longer and longer now. I mean, you have heard about men in their sixties and, and, uh, still having big uh, kids. So it's a longer cycle. Um, but our testosterone production is peaked in our like late twenties for most men. And then it kind of should decline slowly. I was diagnosed with low testosterone at the age of 32. And I think I probably had it for a lot of years before that. I've diagnosed men in their 20s. I've also uh, tested men in their 60s and 70s that still had perfect testosterone, and and I've been very jealous, but so it doesn't happen to everybody. Um, So men need testosterone for lots of things, for brain health, for bone health, to build muscle. Uh, It helps turn muscle into, uh, excuse me, fat into muscle. So there's lots of these awesome qualities that testosterone has. And for many of us, we don't make enough of it. And for me, I always just thought, you know, the main symptom that I had during my uh, 20s, I'd say is that 
I've, I've always been very into exercise, sports, um, weights, you know, and just a very active lifestyle. And, and a lot of my friends were that way. And I always felt like I worked out just as much as they did. We all had crappy diets back then. Um, so we would like go to the gym and then go get McDonald's right after. Um, but they would be more cut up as I would say. Right. And, and for me, I always like, I was never obese or, or fat, but you know, I, I just carried more weight than I thought I should be for how much I worked out. And then I cleaned up my diet and, um, I still like, I was like, why am I not really getting to the place where I, for the amount of work I'm putting in, like what is going on? And so then I was working with a doc and, and I was telling her about my life a little bit. And she's like, I think you have low T. And, and I, I mean, I think in my mind, I cussed her out. I was just like the, you know, I'm 32, get out of here. But I was like, fine, I'll, I'll humor you and I'll test. And so my testosterone came back in the tank. And, and so this, the testosterone on a on a lab for a man ranges somewhere between 200 to 1100 right which is another just completely nuts range um and so i was around 200 so i think maybe they report normal as being 400 let's say maybe depends on the lab but um i i was like 50 points or 100 points below normal and I, I mean, I was just stunned, but at the same time, all of a sudden, like my whole life made sense. Um, and, and so I went on testosterone replacement. I saw these numbers. And so she's like, I think you should go on a testosterone cream. And I was like, let's do it. And, and I was on it for three years and I would say it was the best years of my life. Um, like I felt amazing. I was, um, and you know, a lot of people, when they think testosterone replacement, they think like Barry Bonds or like these baseball players that were on all these, you know, more like the steroid sure. thing. Yeah. yeah. So we're not, when we do testosterone replacement as, as, uh, in my practice, it's just to get the levels normal, which, which a lot of people argue what, what is your optimal testosterone is around 800. So that that's usually the goal that I'm trying to get at with replacement is around 800. And so, that's what I did. And, and, um, some of that little excess fat turned into muscle. Like I, I was pretty close to a six pack at one point. Like I, I, and I didn't change anything. Like I, I, I kept the same diet. I worked out the same amount. It's just, my body completely changed. My mood was better. My sex drive was way better. I just felt better about myself. And, and, and for somebody that's uh, dealt with like addiction issues and depression, like, it felt great. And I, I had no side effects that I was aware of. Like it was just, everything was wonderful. And then I met my wife and we wanted to have kids. And for the first time I kind of thought I'm like, in my mind, I was like, well, the testosterone, uh, I should be super fertile. Like we should get pregnant right away. Right. Because you need testosterone to be fertile. And I did a sperm analysis and zero, zero sperm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, one of the, I, I think still probably the worst day of my life. I've had some pretty bad days, but that, that I still think that was the worst. And I was like, holy crap, what did I do to myself? Right. And yeah. why would that happen? Right. And this, so this is something, and I've heard other people young age like me that were told to go on testosterone 
and and didn't get explained the side effects. So this has kind of been my mission in life for men to not go through what I went through. Um, so why would that happen, right? Well, LH and FSH, those signals from the brain are the same signals that we talked about with a woman. They're the same signals that tell a man's testes to make testosterone and to make sperm. LH tells you to make testosterone. FSH tells you to make sperm. When you are on testosterone, those signals turn off, right? Mm -hmm. Because the brain is detecting, hey, your testosterone's at 800. We're good. That's fine for LH because you don't need testosterone production. That completely shuts off your sperm production when FSH is deactivated, right? Mm -hmm. And for a lot of men, I did what, well, first of all, I did what um, I tell everybody not to do. I got online and started reading. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of men don't ever make sperm again. And, and so that's, of course, I assume that that's what would happen to me. And so I became kind of an uh, unofficial expert, at least just for myself, in making sperm and making testosterone in a different way. And so... I found all types of supplements and, and I've got a list of probably 15 different supplements that I used in the book. Um, and I also used a medication called clomiphene. Clomiphene is a medication that a lot of women are familiar with that have been through infertility because it basically causes you to make more LH and FSH, which can stimulate ovulation in a woman. For a man with low testosterone, a lot of men use it, clomiphene, just as, as their first choice to increase their testosterone levels because it basically creates this negative feedback that causes your LH and FSH levels to go really high so you make more testosterone. I did it to make more FSH in order to hopefully turn on sperm production again. So six months of supplements you know, and I already, you know, diet and things like that were pretty cleaned up. Stress was higher because of, you know, the, the fear that I basically made myself infertile, um, at six months, zero still. Mm -hmm. And then at 12 months, totally normal again. So it happened for me somewhere between six and 12 months. I don't know when, cause I wasn't checking every month. Um, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm back to normal. Um, when my wife and I are done having kids, the first thing I will do is go back on testosterone because it was amazing for me in regards to how I felt. Um, I have had some men, it's, it's very rare that, that will start it and they don't really notice a difference. I, I can't really explain that. Some men have side effects, one that I saw was breast growth, which is obviously a pretty, very negative one. So again, this is not going to be the magic solution for everybody. Testosterone replacement. There are so many different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. Traditional doctors love to use the injections. I hate that um, because for most men, you get an injection every two weeks. Well, the day of that injection, your testosterone spikes to like 2000. And then over the course of the next two weeks, it goes back down to 200 and then it skyrockets to 2000 
and then bottoms out. And that that's just traumatic for the body, right? Like that, that I think is, can put you at cancer risk and other things. Cause that's just not what the body is normally doing. And so I used a cream, which I'm convinced is the best form because it creates just a steady state. I, I used it in the morning and at night. And so my testosterone levels were just always even. Um, and so supplement, I mean, there's the, the lifestyle stuff, um, you know, that was the same as we talked about for women, there's supplements, um, which are in the book. If someone wants to take a look at them, clomiphene as a medication an oral medication, and then testosterone replacement. And, and so, like I said, there's many different routes. Some there's doctors that are doing these pellets now where they basically like stick something under your skin and you only have to put them in every three or six months or something. Um, that can be expensive. And it's also a surgical procedure. Um, uh, traditional doctors use androgel, um, which is a gel. I think that's pretty close to the cream that we use. Um, I use. So I don't know what is the best way. I mean, there's testosterone experts that are doing, you know, everybody has their own niche, uh, niche. Um, I, to me, the cream made sense just because of keeping a steady state. That's what I used. And, and it worked wonderful for me, but for any man that, that is in the reproductive years, um, don't do that. Or what I have for some men that are like, I really want to be on testosterone, um, but I don't want to lose that ability. You can do testosterone and clomiphene, hmm. right? So you put on the testosterone to get your levels up, but then you add clomiphene to keep the FSH signal active. Okay. So again, uh, can be, get into a very complicated process. And my advice always in both books is to just find a practitioner that, you know, you're comfortable with, and that has some experience with whatever condition you're working with. I always recommend ifm.org and, and searching for certified practitioners, but also not every practitioner that is certified with IFM or whatever, alter, or whatever is going to be comfortable with toxins. And some might be comfortable with female hormones and some male or some both. Some might just do gut health. Some might do nutrition. So uh, just make sure that the clinic that you're in, you're reaching out to is, has experience with whatever issue you're working with. Cause not everybody uh, will have comfort with all of these things. Yeah. And I know you're based out of Chicago. Do you work with people around the country virtually if they wanted to reach out for a consult? Yeah. Our website is the best way to get a hold of us. Just, just okay. email us or call us. Yep. And we will link the ifm.org and your website up um, in the show notes for this episode, both in the blog post and then also um, on YouTube and the podcast. And Dr. Cause, I really appreciate your time today. I know that you're an expert in a lot of things, functional medicine. Oh, hit my mic. Um, but I think that, you know, I've talked to a lot of different experts on here and I, I can always kind of tell who really knows their stuff on a really in-depth level, but then also who's like lived it. And so I really appreciate you bringing in that, um, personal experience and being vulnerable with, um, with your and your wife's fertility issues too. And we wish you the best there. Um, and I hope, um, I wish you that just, yeah, I wish you the best with business. I wish you the best with life. Um, I really enjoyed both of our interviews and just can't thank you enough for your time. Thank you so much. And same to you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. To learn more about Zivli, our online course and coaching program to reverse insulin resistance, 
for long-term weight loss and disease prevention, check out our website at www.zivli.com. That's Z-I-V-L-I.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and review on your listening platform and share it with a friend. I'll talk with you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now.